This edition of the EdSurge On Air podcast is brought to you by the EdSurge Fusion Conference, an invitation-only event for school and district leaders. Hello, listeners, and welcome to the Ed Surge On Air podcast. I'm your co-host, Mary Jo Matta. There are plenty of innovators and early adopters of education technology out there, from educators who make the rounds on the ISTE and South by Southwest conference circuits to consultants and entrepreneurs who push for adoption of certain tools and practices. But what about those who are more skeptical? If you've seen the technology adoption lifecycle, you might know what I'm talking about. Inspired by the work of American communication theorist and sociologist Everett Rogers, the cycle argues that 50% of adopters fall into the late adopter or laggard categories. Yet despite making up such a huge percentage, late adopters and laggards rarely get invited to be a part of the edtech conversation. What do they need that early adopters don't? And is it necessarily a bad thing to be considered a late adopter? To find out, EdSurge invited Brett Harrison to hop on the EdSurge podcast. He's a fifth grade teacher from King City Arts Magnet School in Central California and has 28 years of teaching experience. Now, he falls somewhere in between the late majority and laggard categories, but he prefers to describe himself as a reluctant adopter. Curious to hear what he says? We'll get to that interview in a second, right after this. The EdSurge Fusion Conference is an invitation-only event for school and district leaders from around the country. They'll be coming together in the San Francisco Bay Area from November 1st to the 3rd to talk about personalized learning and school transformation. If this sounds interesting to you, please request an invitation or learn about sponsorship opportunities by going to the following bit.ly link bit.ly slash edsurgefusion. That's one word. Again, bit.ly slash edsurgefusion. All right, listeners, welcome back. Now we're going to hop on with Brett Harrison in a moment, but just as a reminder, he is a fifth grade teacher from King City Arts Magnet School in Central California, and he does qualify himself as a late adopter. But We don't only talk about what it means to be a late adopter, we also discussed, well, what eventually gets him on board with a piece of technology, as well as whether the messaging around edtech should change in order to reach more people who are hesitant. And if you're curious to hear what he says, you're in luck, because we're going to start right now. Okay, listeners, so I am here with Brett Harrison. He is a fifth grade teacher from King City Arts Magnet School in Central California, about an hour south of Salinas, right in between San Francisco and Los Angeles. Welcome to the EdSurge On Air podcast, Brett. We're glad to have you. Thanks, Mary Jo. Glad to be here. And we're especially excited to have him because he does start school in two days. Um, So we are very inspired by his dedication to hop on the podcast when I know he needs to be setting up his classroom. Um, But why don't you give us, Brett, just a quick summary of what's your history in the classroom been like with regards to technology? Because you have been in the classroom for 28 years. So what have you seen happen over those 28 years? Yeah, well, when I when I started teaching, we had one computer per grade level. It was an Apple IIe, and we really only had one bit of software, which was Oregon Trail. And it was mostly just kind of a novelty 
at that point. This is 1991, uh, and it was it was like a prize. It wasn't really it was something we let the kids do if they did something right. It wasn't really like something I used or really anybody, to my knowledge, was using for instructional purposes. Um, and you know, over time, we've gotten more and more funding for computers. We've got, you know, I've gone to uh, from there to a station that had three or four computers in it, which I managed to like put some math practice software on or something like that. And um, you know, over time, more and more computers have come to the fore. Um, this is my this will be my third year this year of a one to one classroom where every kid actually on my school site. 300 some kids all have an individual computer. They have their own email addresses. They know how to log into Google Classroom and I issue most of my assignments um, via Google Classroom. So I, I've I've gone from sort of poo-pooing technology almost as sort of like a toy to, um, I, I still look at it critically. Some of it still totally is a toy, but um, I, I now use it um, more for the to make pedagogical decisions and to collaborate with my colleagues and of course to collaborate with my students. So it's everywhere. When we were talking before, and this may be more true from um, prior to now, but uh, I'd say you definitely fall in the category of a late adopter. And I'm curious, you mentioned that the teacher across the hall from you is more of the early adopter type. She goes to a lot of ed tech conferences. She's bringing in a lot of tools. When it comes to technology, why do you think you're a late adopter? What is it that sort of causes you to have that skepticism when it comes to technology? Yeah, I think it's mostly the way that I was introduced to education um, as an undergrad student. It was, you know, the Madeline Hunter School of Anticipatory Set and Modeling. And everything that was delivered content-wise to, to students back in those days prior to technology being common was, you know, the teacher was running the show. You were the ringleader of the circus and it was kind of on you as a person to, you know, pick the way that you delivered content to kids. And um, that's kind of a nice model if you're comfortable with sort of aiming at the middle of where everybody needs to be and sort of issuing um, instruction that way. Um, and I never really saw technology uh, up until probably around I don't know, early 2000s as something that um, was a lot more powerful than just a, a toy or an amusement in the classroom. Um, and I think it really took um, me being fortunate enough to uh, be in a carpool with a guy who is might even be known to your listeners, a guy named John Miller, who is uh, the number one Minecraft educator probably in the United States. He is absolutely fantastic social studies teacher who's figured out that he can take Minecraft, which, you know, every 12-year-old on planet Earth knows about Minecraft, and he does all of his, well, not all of, but he has 80-plus percent of his instruction in a Minecraft environment. The kids still are held accountable for a product. They have to write and do math and, and communicate uh, to their colleagues about, you know, their experiences in, in that environment. But it was such, just walking into this guy's classroom and seeing every single kid fully engaged with a computer I just, at that moment, I said, well, this is, you know, obviously there's a lot of power in technology. And I started to look at it more critically as something that I could, you know, employ in my classroom more effectively. Mm -hmm. And it took about, I would say it took about 10 years to where I was comfortable with an administrator walking into my room and no, and that administrator could look what I was doing and say, 
okay, Harrison's absolutely using this effectively. It's not just a babysitter. It's not just a toy. He, these people are learning because uh, he is uh, skillfully employing technology. Well, then, you know, it's funny because you almost answered my next question, which is, you know, you mentioned that uh, this educator was a sort of an example to you. And I'm curious, what other things eventually get you on board with a piece of technology? Like, what is it that causes you, you know, over that 10 year period or even now to say, all right, I'm going to do this? Yeah, it's it's a big depends for me. Um, it depends on um, I have to really talk to a teacher who uses it or, is, or I can see kids using it. And I could I have to get some like some testimonials from my colleagues about whether it works or not. Um, I would say that's probably, uh, I don't just trust the software company to say, this is awesome. I want to hear people's, you know, experience with it. And I also want to line it up with my kids. My kids are title one, 90 plus percent title one at the campus, a lot of English language learners. And um, I, I just want to make sure that whatever the software is, um, it's a fit for my kids. So that'd be number one criteria. And then when I try it, I also, you know, kind of look at my own style as a teacher. I, I'm a very um, open communicator with my kids. Before we start uh, covering a standard, I say, okay, guys, this is what you're going to be learning. Here's kind of the steps we're going to take to get there. You know, at the end of it all, I want you to be able to do these things. And we break it down sort of by skills and by little tasks within the, uh, to, to develop the, the mastery of the standard. Mm -hmm. And, you know, frankly, uh, you know, a lot of software that's out there, I don't think th they even think about the standards and the things that I'm sort of compelled to teach or required to teach my kids. Mm -hmm. They just sort of clump a bunch of math together at a certain grade level and it's like you know go you know pick pick whatever you're going to do and and it doesn't uh, you know unless the software allows me to do two things one is to differentiate for the variety of skills in my class i'm not really interested in it and i also need data i mean a, a lot of these especially web-based stuff um you don't get any information back about what kids doing what and if the if the child's actually mastering it or they're just you know you know hitting you know guessing and, and going through it mm -hmm. and and some of the best software that i've really only seen come out in the last few years or so allows me to enter register every kid give them a password and a username and i get a daily report on how how that student's performing at that particular skill level. I'm talking mostly about math in this case. Mm -hmm. uh, language arts is a little trickier. When I use uh, technology for language arts, it's mostly informational. Uh, we're going to seek information. We're going to find the answer, you know, via the internet or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, or that, or I use some um, like reading comprehension programs that are leveled, and our district uses reading comprehension. Um, programs that assess kids and then decide a Lexile level that they should be reading at. Mm. And, and so it, it has to be something that, that provides a little bit of flexibility and gives me information back, hopefully daily, about how the student is performing. What about the folks on your campus that are more of the ed tech laggards, like the people that just really can't conceive of using tech in the classroom? What do you think it is that will, would get them on board with technology? Yeah, so th that's a great question. And and what's interesting is I just came to this campus two years ago, and this campus is um, led by a principal who's 100% uh, one-to-one computers, kindergarten on up. So my feeling is that this at this campus I'm at now, there's not really a 
person I think that meets that description. We, we have a, a professional development community where we have sort of experts that are, are mentors or counselors to the other teachers. And if somebody's reluctant or freaked out or not sure about how to do something, generally within a day or two, we can get some information to that person that helps them to get through it all. Mm -hmm. Now, I transferred from a middle school a few years ago, and I would say half the staff wanted nothing to do with technology. Wow. They looked at it as an extra thing they had to keep track of. Uh, they looked at it as, uh, I, frankly, I think they were just intimidated. They typically were older people like me, um, but they were intimidated by the uh, kind of the younger teachers who'd been in, they've been watching, we've been watching these people come into profession for 15 years. These people are on fire. They, they know, they effectively use uh, technology all day long. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I grew up and so did many of them at a time where it was like, you know, unless you work for NASA, you didn't use a computer for anything. And, and so we've sort of, uh, you know, we've gotten into our routine, our way of teaching, even without technology, completely absent of technology. And now the idea that I can introduce this new machine uh, to my kids and be more effective is, is I think a tough sell mm -hmm. for, uh, depending on the subject area, especially. Um, but uh, having said that, I think that many, as the software and and apps have improved over time, I think just word of mouth is bringing a lot of these people into the fold as well. I would agree with that. And I also imagine that there are certain technologies that are easier for someone to wrap their head around than something else. And, you know, you started teaching back in the 90s. So you've seen technology grow from, like you were saying earlier, single computers in classrooms mm -hmm. and probably computer labs as well to these full-scale one-to-one campuses like the one that you're on right now. So I'm wondering what's been, what have been the high points, like the big successes that you've seen? And then what about the low points of technology when it comes to education? Wow. Well, initially, for lack of a better way to say it, I don't think districts had their technology locked down. So it was kind of the wild west and kids way smarter than teachers with with understanding how to get around and do things with technology that they're not supposed to. And I, I you understand, I taught middle school for, you know, 12 of my 28 years. And um, the, 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 the word about how to do the wrong thing with technology would spread quickly among the student population and, and kids would get up to whatever they could get away with. And, um, we, we didn't really have an effective way of um, identifying who was doing inappropriate things with the computer network and, uh, or dealing with them. It was an administrative uh, challenge. You know, how do you, you know, I can suspend a kid for hitting another kid, but how, what do you do with a kid who, you know, inadvertently or on purpose goes to another website? That was a completely uh, new, like legal thing, I guess, that districts had to work around. So, so that was, there was like eight or nine years there where that in and of itself was making a lot of teachers reluctant to to take on technology because like, oh, man, I'm going to get myself in trouble. I got a kid in my room that's, you know, looking at something inappropriate. Am I going to be held accountable? There was not a lot of uh, confidence that technology was going to be a thing that was, you know, of the future. So that would say that that's the main low point was just the uncertainty. And frankly, the administration was more clueless about it than the teachers were. So they say, oh, we have all these great computers, guys. But uh we're not exactly sure how to use them or, you know, don't let the kids do this. And it, it was a lot of, you know, um, 
confusion about about where to go with it. Mm. High points, though, are easy because you know I, I have kids that uh, kids under the fifth grade in our district that read at a sixth grade, seventh grade level. Some read at a first or second grade level. So so how to use a platform that accommodates that difference, that range of differences, was hard because uh, you know. Uh, until very recently, you couldn't assign uh, a, you know, a short reading about molecules that every kid in the class could access. You knew that some were going to were not weren't going to get it because they couldn't read at that level or they couldn't interact with the program at that level. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I, I'm finding that um, that in I don't know I don't know if it's called it's technically it's AI, but software that understands the, the students' level based upon their responses mm-hmm. or their response rate and adjusts um, for those types of things. That's that's awesome. That's amazing. Like adaptive technology, you mean? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. And it it, it and and well, adaptive in terms of like visual impairment and auditory impairment. That's excellent. That's the computers equalize um, kids with those challenges real quick. Um, and it, it's also computers are very engaging and screens are um, ubiquitous with kids these days. And they're even if they're nervous in a, in a group of 30 people, which is, you know, what a classroom is, um, they can th- that a lot of that anxiety is reduced by 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 having something to do on the computer. And I've seen that change. You know, I had kids afraid to come to school. Um, because they were anxious about being in a room with all these other kids. And I, I, I rarely see that problem anymore, rarely. And I think computers, the technology used in the classroom is a big part of lessening that. But you know, if I went to point to a personal favorite um, technology, something like uh, Khan Academy, which surely you know about Khan Academy, um, where it, it literally allows me to um, look over the shoulder of any kid in my room while they're doing their practice problems, pull them aside, reteach if they don't understand how to do something. I mean, it's, I've always felt like a good teacher should be on their feet, moving around the classroom, but I can turn on Khan Academy and have a hundred percent engagement and I can see a kid struggling and I can pull them over and I can individually show them, you know, where to concentrate to, to master it or or to, to learn how to do the problem. And it's been the most liberating thing for me as a teacher because um, I feel like I'm doing my job and serving every single kid and not just, you know, hopefully catching as many as I can by broadcasting this huge, you know, this, this one message. I'm, I'm literally in control of multiple messages and multiple instructional models at the same time. And um, I can, you know, turn around and click a report and see exactly where every kid is and, you know, um, communicate to their parents about what they're struggling with. I can... For those kids that have access at home, I can extend that to to home. And I've I've never had a kid want to do homework, but once they master a skill for the first time, they feel so empowered. It's like, give me extra ones to do at the house, Mr. Harrison. It's yeah. really cool. Yeah. yeah. So so I mean, I, I I'm I'm a reluctant adopter uh, um, in the sense that I don't like to just say, oh, you know, here's you know, this is math genius, whatever whatever the name of the program is. I'm just making that up, but. Uh, if it's just a babysitter that you know looks like math, that that's one thing. But if it's really teaching the the concrete concepts and the standards that my kids know, and it's presenting information that honestly would take me hours to prepare, I'll give you an example. We do uh, prisms, uh, volume of prisms in fifth grade, 
And, you know, th that's a tough one because you get for the first time you have kids trying to wrap their head around a three-dimensional model and then apply a math formula to figure out how much space is in it, how much volume is in it. And previous to technology, I can't tell you all the crap I tried. Uh, I, you know, we cut out graph paper and make, uh, you know, little cubes and rectangular prisms. We would uh, draw them and, and it just, it never really worked. But uh, now I have a 3D model that I can manipulate in a variety of directions. The kids actually have some, you know, um, a connection with like Lego digital designer and other mm -hmm. sort of game type programs that they know about. So the, the concept of a three-dimensional model represented on a 2D screen is now suddenly they're like, oh yeah, it's no big deal. And I, I've seen more growth with the, um, the, the concepts that I would say require a big visual um, component to, to get. Um, that's been phenomenal. I, I just, I just, I just shake my head about how awesome some of it is sometimes and how much, I mean, it, I'm done with the, the volume unit in two weeks as opposed to like a month and a half of continually revisiting it. And then many kids still didn't quite, you know, get it. So, you know, I, just, it's been great to see the speed of change and the, um, um, the, the, uh, the, the cleverness with which the, the designers of these programs engage kids. Um, I, I'm, I'll retire in 10 years and I can't even imagine how much cooler it'll be in like 10 years, but it's, it's been awesome to watch it all sort of develop over time for sure. You're making me think back a lot to, I used to teach sixth and eighth grade math. And I remember having to teach those volume surface area lessons. And mm -hmm. even six years ago, you know, the amount of technology that could be used to demonstrate 3d models was probably not as, varied as what it is now. And it, it does make me think, you know, it, even for the late adopters and, you know, what they refer to as the laggards out there, having a piece of technology that can really save you time, but also enable you to do something that you can't physically do on your own is pretty incredible. But I'm sitting here listening to you and I'm thinking to myself, you, you qualify yourself as a, I think you refer to it a reluctant adopter, but I bet to the other late adopters and the laggards out there, you actually sound very much like an early adopter. And so I have one more big question for you. And this really applies to anybody who's listening, which is, how do you think the messaging around technology should change to reach more people that are hesitant to use it in the classroom? You're talking teachers, right? Yes. Yeah. Well, that's an interesting question. So let me go at this couple of different ways. First of all, uh, here's why I describe myself as a reluctant adopter. I'll tell you a little story. In the late 90s, I had a principal who um, we, we had this online reporting and accountability system. It's actually called ORS. You might have heard of it. ORS is sort of a, a, a database system where um, you could, when you gave a kid an assessment, you know, say a benchmark test or, or a unit assessment, you could enter the scores in and Allegedly, um, this this uh, this wonderful program would give you back a lovely color-coded chart that says, you know, the kids in green are, you know, mastering it, and the kids in yellow, you know, they're, they're getting close, they're not quite there, and the red ones, uh-oh, you know, I'm going to do something else. And see, the, my problem with, see, to me, a lot of administrators, that's their view of um, technology. Technology is something that helps gather data, which then they can use in whatever meeting they're going to to present, you know, how their teachers and their kids are doing. And it's, 
that, to me, that's the totally wrong purpose for technology in a classroom. That's a, you know, that makes an administrator happy to have data. And I'm, don't trust me, I love data. I look at data every day. The problem with the data that sometimes my school district has tried to sell me is it's data that comes out once a year or once every quarter. I need data on kids like three or four times a day uh, to understand if we're making progress or not. So timely data that's actually real information, that's the big sell for me for technology. If, if I got to wait till, you know, the, the state testing ends to know if I was a good teacher or not, I'm not, I'm not doing something right. Mm -hmm. And I'm also, you know, clueless as to what, you know, that, that those scores mean. To me, they don't mean anything. Uh, if I can watch a kid successfully complete a complex math problem or write, uh, you know, a, a fairly complex uh, essay, and they do it right in front of me and they can explain why they're doing what they're doing. Okay, then that kid learned that. That's all the data I really you know, need. I, but I, I had principals who felt that now my, another part of my job since technology was the way our district was going was I needed to sit down and enter you know, 34 scores mm. at the end of each day. Sometimes 34 scores times three benchmark tests that day. And it's like, that's like 30 minutes of work or an hour, which isn't a lot of, but that, that adds up to literally hours and hours and hours of time that I should be spending preparing for quality instruction in my classroom, not giving some administrator, you know, uh, some data to put on a chart and, you know, show in some meeting. Right. So, so that's, and I think honestly, that's, that, happening and it happens everywhere in california it's still happening to a certain extent that is one of the things that sours um teachers on technology and that's what makes reluctant people reluctant they think it's just like more work for me what they don't what teachers don't realize is if you really um if you approach technology differently and you forget about the needs of administrators and you start to focus on the needs of children that's when technology really is powerful mm -hmm. and a lot of a lot of teachers don't especially old guys like me, they, they don't get that. They don't, they don't trust the administration because the administration is, you know, the man and they're, you know, they have their own agenda. They're just trying to keep the people at the county office happy. And um, it was, it was a day that I sort of just for, forgot about that stuff. I mean, I'm, I know I'm a good teacher and I was a good teacher before technology. And I think I'm a better teacher with technology because I really am every decision I make about how to use it in the classroom. I'm looking at, the end of the of the year for the kid and did, did that really help that kid acquire or master um the the, the concept and that's it i don't I, if, it, if it automatically reports generates data that it, the administrator uses great but um I, i've flat out tell principals now i'm not gonna do extra work so that you can have reporting data mm -hmm. if you can glean it automatically awesome but um, I, I think that's, you know, that, that, that to me is the biggest, that's what makes reluctant adopters more, especially the younger ones, more reluctant. They see it as more that they have to do. And that's not the way we should be. That's not the relationship we should, we should have with technology, in my opinion. And Lord knows teachers already have plenty on their plate. They don't need any more things to do already on top of yes, that. Yes, we do. I'm <laughs> but I'm happy to have a lot to do. I, this is such a great job. I, I know you probably, your, your audience is mostly teachers, but what a wonderful gig. You're never bored. It's never predictable. It's just a totally fun thing. So I'm, I'm happy to be a teacher. And I'm really happy that technology came along because it's it's actually made my, it's brought some joy back to teaching that I think people tend to lose kind of enthusiasm, but 
uh, technology is really it, it, to see kids get stuff and to high five each other. The gamification of stuff is some people criticize that. I think it's the most healthy thing that that exists in a software program. If you got a kid leveling up or just basically in competition with with him or herself to be better, that's that's healthy. That's a healthy attitude for learning. You know, get better, but want to get better because you want to get better. That's it, it's just a wonderful to to watch those elements come into the software that we use in the classroom. I don't think we can get any better than that. Brett, you may be a self-proclaimed reluctant adopter, but I can definitely see a lot of elements of optimism within that sort of skeptical approach that you take. And I want to give a big thank you to you for being on the podcast. And also, if anybody has any further questions for you or wants to get in contact with you, how should they go about doing that? My email address is bharrison uh, at kcusd.org. Love, love meeting teachers online, and I love collaborating with folks all over the country. Happy to talk to folks. Sweet. Well, Brett, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you, Mary Jo. I enjoyed it. Hope you have a great day. This has been the EdSearch On Air podcast. This episode was produced and edited by me, Mary Jo Matta, and advertisements were read by Alice Meyerhoff. You can give us a grade on the quality of this podcast by rating us on iTunes or sending an email to us at feedback at edsearch.com. You can also subscribe on the iPhone podcast app, on Stitcher, on SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back again next week with more on the future of education. We'll see you then.